0: Welcome to Ingrid good company. Today we are diving into the world of batteries, renewable energy, innovative technology with Peter Carlson, the CEO of Norwalt. Thank you. Now, Peter, what is Northwolt?
1: Norfolk is a battery company that focuses on develop uh, the most uh, sustainable products uh, in the industry. It is um, one of the uh, things we, we recognize is that batteries and battery supply chains are incredibly energy intensive and as such, They're also actually producing a significant carbon footprint. And uh, what we want to show is that there is another way by building sustainable uh, supply chains, by building uh, factory setups in grid. Uh, solutions that actually provide renewable energy and doing it with the latest technology, including building circular setup that mm-hmm. we can drive this battery revolution in a more sustainable way and thereby we, we get a, a significantly bigger impact on the green transition.
0: Now you got some really wonderfully hairy goals. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Now, where are you going to be in 10 years time?
1: I think in in 10 years' time, we will be uh, an entirely, you know, fully circular company. Uh, We will probably at least have uh, 50% of everything that we produce, we will produce with recycled material. I think we build out our footprint uh, to be kind of the the Western leader, both in Europe, in North America, And, and then with sodium ion, which is a new emerging technology, I think we are rapidly evolving a footprint in, if I call it the the developing world, India, Middle East, Africa.
0: Well, when you started uh, Northvolt in uh, 2016, many people in the industry didn't think you had a chance. But wow, here here we are. And, you know, the factory you are building, you can see on uh, Google Earth, uh, that's how big it is. Now, one of the reasons why they were skeptical was because of Chinese competition. So, just um, tell me what what are the the challenges you are facing here.
1: I mean, you know, the Chinese ecosystem and and this is, uh, you know, batteries is a scale business. It is go big or go home. And and uh, pretty, China- pretty
0: pretty generally a good rule in life. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that, that, is, that is that is true. But the Chinese they have a 5 to 10 year head start on uh, scale which we need to catch up. But they have from from the vehicles to the battery supply chain to the battery value chain taken a very strategic position. They have put in large amount of capitals in everything from uh, raw materials, mining, up until really a very, very clear transition plan towards electrification, and have driven scale out of that. And then, you know, they're formidable in, in running operation. So, you know, a head-to-head competition with the Chinese is, is going to be difficult. What we are trying to do is that we can do it in a different way. We can stretch the technology. We can do it in a more circular way. And we can build customization and and customer intimacy. Because batteries are going from kind of being commodity. Five, six years when we went out to many of our customers, they were thinking as a battery as a black box. And today, as, as this market evolves, we see that the battery, it's a chemistry system. As a chemistry system, you can basically optimize that towards the features that your products want to be and that your brand have as, as an aspiration. And what we perhaps have been a little bit better than, than some of our, our competitors is to work together with our customers' engineering groups on that optimization, you know, if you're A Volvo, you sell a lot of cars in the Northern Hemisphere. So cold weather performance is a key feature for battery. Mm. If you're a Porsche, your customers don't want to stand waiting Mm. long at the charging station. They really want fast charging and, of course, large accelerations of charge discharge. Mm. So that kind of intimacy and optimizing the systems is also something that uh, that we uh, see. This is where we can really differentiate.
0: Mm. So what do you actually need to be successful here? I mean, if I now decided to start mm. a battery factory and we have had some attempts or we have some attempts on, you know, to start startup in Norway, what, what are the key things there? Is it, is it money, technology, people used to, I mean, how, the, how would you rank the input? Yeah. Here?
1: I mean, the starting point is, you know, obviously you need a really, really good core uh, engineering and in, in terms of how you optimize that chemistry system.
0: Is, is that people or is that, uh, that electric like people, property? That, can, that, you, that,
1: can you buy that? um not not really <laughs> you know in in a similar way as with many others uh, you know these architects these these R&D architects who has the full the full visibility of of both how to optimize the chemistry system but can also understand how uh, it affects the process and the and the manufacturing setup they are worth their weight in, in gold as a first mover with a very clear impact mission. We were able to recruit uh, a handful of of, of these people, primarily from from Asia. Then we've filled up with people from all over the world. But that's kind of the starting point. And it is still a very emerging technology. So I would say there's probably less than 100 people in the world, Mm -hmm. it's rapidly growing, that have that system System overview and they are, are so important. Then, again, coming back to that, this is a, a scale business, then you need to be able to attract talent at, at scale. Mm. You, well, mm. What
0: does that mean? How many people is that?
1: Well, I mean, we've grown from 25 to 6,000 people in the last six years. But what I would say is, you know, per factory, you need a process engineering team that is very, very talented. And then I think you need to be somewhere around 300 to 400, you know, really good process engineers per factory yeah. setup. So that talent base, that is crucial to bring on. And this is a big, big bottleneck for the industry right now. Then obviously you need the capital base, so you need to have strong investors like yourself and and how, how much money do you need? Well, uh, You, as a rule of thumb, you you basically need somewhere between 70 to 90 million. US dollars per gigawatt hour that you're uh, investing. In order to make scale uh, and and to become uh, significant, uh, we think that you you need to reach at least somewhere between uh, 200 to 300 gigawatt hours.
0: So so if you do the math, how much money is that?
1: That is somewhere around 20 to 30 billion, give or take, 20 to 25 billion uh, dollars in over time then obviously we've we've developed a, a model so these so this is not for the poor people <laughs> this is not for the the poor people and then of course you need a scalable footprint you you need a way of setting up your lines and your factories that that is systematic that can be scaled in an, in an efficient way so people capital and a scalable blueprint i think that is is uh, the core
0: you you mentioned the the client relationships um you have a a great relationship with volvo um, volkswagen porsche i met the uh, the ceo recently who's really excited about this Uh, how important are these relationships and the contracts you have
1: i mean they are they are essential if
0: you didn't have any contracts you you couldn't go ahead
1: no you couldn't Uh, uh, you know it, it has been you know but, we, um,
0: excuse me, but are these not uh, pretty indifferentiated products? Can't I just produce loads of batteries and sell it to whoever want to have them?
1: Well, you know, there is a commodity market where you can buy 280 ampere hour LFP batteries at a very, very low cost today from China. But if, if you want to design a leading-edge vehicle to be head-to-head in competition with Tesla and, and some of the others, then you really need highly high performance battery highly defined towards your brand and and your uh, performance optimizations and and those are not commodities i mean obviously we are we are fighting head to head with CATL and LG and Samsung in, in those those RFQs. But through these, these relationships that we managed to build, this has been crucial also to get our investors comfortable mm-hmm. that we will not go the way solar cells went and the, where, where uh, the Western kind of lost uh, all the operations to, to Asia.
0: You worked at Tesla for yeah. some time. What did you learn? And what, uh, are, you, what are you bringing to Northwalt? Uh,
1: I, I learned a lot. I must say that when I came to Tesla, I felt that I was a pretty seasoned supply chain and operation uh, guy. You know, worked with mobile phones for, for a long period of time. I worked with semiconductors. Coming in to a startup where you build the rail in front of the the train and where you constantly need to, to challenge and your strongest assets is your speed and your mission. You really, really stretch your comfort zone, and Elon for sure stretched my comfort zone. With what, with, what did you learn from him? Uh, what I learned from him is is how powerful it is to drive a company with a super, super clear mission. You can argue about management methods, and you can argue about, but but you can't argue about the mission, and that is that is giving an incredible passion among people and and loyalty. Then he always he always challenged. The conventional way why should logistics be you know why should ocean sea sea freight be slower why can't it be faster i still remember one time we were we were sitting and and we were looking at the the cost of of the model s and and we were and having
0: you were in the same room with him
1: uh, yeah, yeah, yeah i mean we we, we met uh, weekly in the beginning we were basically giving away a check with every vehicle that, that we produced and the, the Elon told me you know I would like the entire bill of material to be analyzed based on uh, the cost of atoms for every part mm-hmm. and and you know a vehicle is like you know it's just a bill of material is like 3500 part numbers and and you know to analyze the cost of of of, of the atoms I mean it was like it blew me away. It's like holy shit, how do how do I do this? But we got the, t- the, the team uh, to to work through and a couple of weeks later we, we came back and and there was actually a whole bunch of, of different learnings about what is the cost of atoms for you know a steering gear and what is the sales price and and does it make sense? So we learned a lot and I would not be here today. I would not have dared to start uh, Norfolk if I haven't been on on that journey. Do you also have a reality distortion field? (laughs) Um, Yes, I I think sometimes I'm I'm a little bit naive in what I think we can. um, So give me
0: some examples of where you are kind of asking for the impossible um, And, and where it is actually happening sometimes too.
1: Whenever I see a budget or whenever I see a, a timeline, I always think there there must be ways to cut this 30%, 40%. There must be smarter ways to drive uh, the capital structure, et cetera. So I, I have a, an inherent push to see where is the boundary? Where can I stretch? And at the end, many times, we are not reaching that, that stretch. But we're still reaching towards something that was better than what we started with. And and that is, of course, very, very important when you are in in any type of of industry to continuously stretch. Can you do this a little bit faster? Can you do this a little bit more effective? Can we do it with a little bit less people, etc.?
0: And how does this work in in the Nordic region and in Sweden? I mean, are we we fast enough? Are we efficient enough? Uh, Do we have... Are there too many regulations and rules?
1: I, I do think there is too many regulations and, and rules. You know, obviously, in an early stage, you're 50 to 100 people, you work around the clock, you could do this uh, anywhere. But but then when you're starting to scale up and when you're starting, you know, then you have to, it's basically impossible to, to operate in, in Sweden without the collective bargaining agreement and, uh, you know, authorities.
0: Well, Elon Musk uh, tried. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's, it's tried, and it, it, that is it is an interesting dispute because I'm not sure who is gonna budge first, to be honest, and and it's not easy to see how you will find a win-win a in that situation. But you have a situation where, if you're building a company, and if you're starting up, you know, new factories, especially if new factories that haven't been built before. That's not done in in a nine to five em- environment. Be, you know, you need extra flexibility from from people, and normally people are willing to give that. Uh, you know, it do- doesn't need to be demanded. Normally, you can get it on a voluntary basis. And then, when you're trying to convert this into, how does this adhere with with the collective bargaining agreement? You stumble into to a whole bunch bunch of, of bottlenecks with with. Uh, 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 with with the central organization, because they are basically say, you know, it's not that they don't understand what what you need, but they are of course worried if we give this flexibility to you, immediately um, a Volvo or, or an ABB will start and come for the same, and and we get stuck to some extent in our uh, regulation. We I think. Uh, I think actually it is time to a little bit review uh, some of these these structures we, we have because nothing comes for free. Succeeding also requires hard work. And, and, and as long as it is a mutual understanding, why not? But, you know, Why not allow people to work specifically during a, a, a certain period of, of time when, when you need that? So which
0: part of the structure kind of the scandinavian model is it that you think we need to review
1: i think we need to allow a more flexible working hours specifically during in norway in sweden a lot of our industrial infrastructure was built long ago and it wasn't built by nine to five uh, and if you look at our competition that that is being built in china you know to take an example i was visiting one of our competitors, and we were walking through uh, their factory. And and uh, I was kind of, is it three shift structure or is it a four shift structure? And there was a, this is a two shift stru- stru- structure. So we have two teams, twelve hours a day, six days a week, and then flexible overtimes on on, on Sunday. And, We are competing with with a five-shift structure in order to fill the factory. I'm not saying that we should go towards the Chinese model, but what I do say is that if they want to make a bigger impact, if they want to work a bit more, also making more, more money, we should have a bit more flexibility for that. Is that why you
0: are starting factories outside Sweden?
1: No, it is not. The reason uh, why we why we are doing that is both proximity to customers, but it's also uh, you know access to talent base. Mm. We have recognized that in uh, you know at least short term with, with what we're doing in Vestros, what we're doing in Hjellevi, in and what we're doing in Gothenburg, we are draining a lot of uh, the capabilities of uh, and the talent base that is in the uh, in the surrounding. Mm. So it, it is driven by other. Other reasons. Mm.
0: Moving on to the whole battery market, um, you say that battery is the key technology to replace the use of coal and gas. Mm. Why? Uh, p- Can you elaborate a bit on that?
1: If we should, for example, if, if Europe should, should meet our Paris Treaty obli- obligations, which is basically 80% CO2 reduction over, over three de- decades, we basically both need to get oil out of our transport. That's a little bit more difficult with airplanes, but with most of our transports is absolutely doable. But then it needs to be replaced by electrification. Maybe some hydrogen, but primarily, which is also driving an electrical powertrain, but primarily uh, it's going to be batteries. And we also need to transform our energy generation from natural gas and coal and, and oil and, and and we need to build a new infrastructure with renewable uh, you know norway and sweden have the hydropower that is is crucial in in this but then it is wind and solar and and you know there's probably a, a certain part also of of, of nuclear But all of these will create more and more instability in the the grid, which means that your ability to store energy to balance this in, in the grid is also becoming crucial. And you also have the situation where we're sitting here in Stockholm today. Stockholm has basically an infrastructure, I think it is around three and a half thousand megawatts that's the copper cables that comes into the city Mm. this is maxed out between nine and two o'clock in the day and with all people that is now transforming into electric vehicles you know coming in from the suburbs want to charge the the vehicle during the day and and get back we probably need to create an additional maybe 50 percent increase during the peak hour and we can either do it by, by digging up the entire city and, and you know pumping uh, copper, or we can build energy storage in, in the cities so that we can fill that up during the, the night and we can utilize it during uh, during the peak hour. Mm. And I think that the later one is, is gonna be a much more efficient model for how we develop that. So the, the ability to store energy is absolutely crucial in the, uh, in the transition.
0: Mm. Now, um, historically, we've been dependent on lithium, where, which you find in places like Argentina, Chile, and, and China, but not in Europe. So what are the challenges here?
1: There is a challenge. It's not a challenge about uh, access in the sense that, that lithium is very available on Earth. The easier access is either by rock, where Canada, Australia, is, for example, is, is really big, but we have it in Serbia, we have it in Portugal, uh, in Europe, and in, in other locations. Then you have groundwater that has a strong lithium content, and and there, for example, South America, where you pump up and and you you're basically evaporate in big big brines. And this industry is is evolving uh, very fast. I have a little bit of of a concern over creating these big dams in the desert in in different, uh, you know, over time. I think this will have a pretty big environmental impact but there is also new technology emer- uh, emerging around so, so-called so dri uh, so where you you do direct reduction without these brines so i think technology w- will solve it part of the challenge today is that almost all of these this lithium in if I call it a, you know, an early concentration form, then goes to China to be processed into either lithium carbonate or lithium hydroxide. So, so you know, the whole value or the processing part, I think, is somewhere between 80 to uh, 85% of the the world's production is in in China.
0: So that's an that's an advantage that and, and Chinese producers have.
1: It is an advantage and and this is where we we need to build value chains um you know we've started a joint venture in Portugal mm. together with Galp to build one of Europe's first lithium processing and this is a necessity to build these this supply chain because eventually batteries will be A regional business batteries are so heavy they are a bit dangerous to to, to transport and the customers would like to have just-in-time setups Mm. so there will be a regionalization of of the market and as part of that regionalization it's super crucial to build also these regional supply chains
0: do every country uh, have to have a battery production
1: not every country needs to uh, to have a a, there's no
0: way need to have it
1: it's, 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 a good, it's a good question. Um, I think Norway probably have the opportunity of having good battery production given its grid setup. So uh, from, from, from my, my point of view, but uh, then there is a whole bunch of, of other things that needs to come together for, for that to happen. But in reality, over the next, I would say next couple of years, most of the decisions that will drive the transformation of the entire auto industry will be be taken. Where is my key strategies for battery supplies? Then it will take 10 years to execute them. But it is very important that Europe as total is on our toes because if we don't have this infrastructure in, in the next decade, then the train have gone Uh, and and then the infrastructure is is built up and it's so much capital that it's going to be very difficult to change this.
0: So then we would be in a situation like we have been in solar panels, microchips and so on, right? Exactly. Tell me about the new sodium ion breakthrough you've had.
1: It's something we were very excited about. So this Uh, is a
0: new technology to make batteries?
1: Well, it it is. um, Sodium ion has been in... Uh, research for for, for quite some some time, as it is probably the, you know, the second best to lithium in order and, you know, even more abundant. So so it's been in uh, research for for, for quite some time. And from a Norfolk perspective, one of the things that we've seen over, uh, over the last couple of years is, you know, in the strive for Lower cost batteries, which is which is necessary for even higher market penetration, and with very fluctuating uh, raw material prices, lithium-ion phosphate, so iron-based batteries, have grown uh, a lot, driven by a very very rapid and, and efficient execution of the Chinese. It is roughly half the energy density of high performance nickel batteries but for example for for energy storage and low uh lower cost uh, passenger cars it, it works and and obviously as as a company you're sitting and seeing that and you're kind of you know should we should we address that uh, that market what should be our strategy we've been struggling with with how to approach this i mu- must admit both from from uh, you know that that we would be almost 100% dependent on chinese active material and the fact that this active material would come with a very large uh, carbon footprint so it would be very difficult to to kind of you know how do we combine our mission with with this type of of technology and lastly uh, these lfp batteries they are as they're less valuable there, there hasn't been a natural development of, of recycling methodology. It's coming, but it's also going to require more regulatory uh, demands in order for, for, for that to, to, to make it, make it happen. When,
0: when can you have a big production of this?
1: So we are right now working on our industrialization plan for this. And, and we think we can scale this up in the 2026, 20, 2027 20, uh, type of timeframes. What we're doing right now is. Will this be a
0: unique product or will other
1: companies well, have Well, you in? know, there is a race on, on sodium. What is a bit unique uh, is that uh, I think we were a bit ahead of the competition in being able to develop based on, on this Prussian blue cathode to produce an LFP type performance. Competition is either working with an iron based cathode material that has lower energy density, or they're working with a nickel-based cathode. So what we've shown is is that we can do a product without both, and this, I think, is a big edge. Mm. What is also very interesting with sodium ion batteries is that lithium is very reactive, but sodium, you can basically heat up a sodium ion battery towards 300 degrees without getting a thermal runway. So they are inherently safer, which I think also becomes very important in both harsh conditions, you know, if you're putting battery storage in the desert next to a solar farm mm. or if you're moving energy storage into cities and where the fire hazard is, is of course very very uh, important.
0: Mm. You so, um, Just one, one more thing you you touched on the importance of having this recyclable infrastructure yeah. as well parallel to your battery production mm. how does this work?
1: So basically the way it works is you're taking end-of-life packs and you are dismantle them. You remove copper and uh, you know the aluminum in in the pack, and you discharge it. It seems simple, but to take a battery pack to absolutely down to to zero mm. is is not in industrial. It's not that uh, that novel. Then you basically crush and sort it, where you need to take out the electrolyte. That is very important, and the end product of that is black mass. And out of that black mass, you can then either use pyro technology so you you use furnaces to remove it but then you lose lithium or you can take the way that we have done where you're using a hydrometallurgical separation and then uh, you can basically get over 90 towards 95 percent recyclability of nickel of cobalt but also of uh, uh, lithium. Do anybody else do this? There is other uh, companies who are evolving, but we have been able to build a a pretty strong IP base around this, and up in Skellefteå, we are right now commissioning Europe's largest uh, recycling facility. It's a four gigawatt hour setup, and there's a brilliant bunch of of people who is now getting all these processes uh, uh, to work. Very interesting.
0: Peter, moving on to corporate culture. Mm. Um, pretty unique situation to build something from zero to six thousand people in eight years. Mm. How do you um, how do you think about what type of culture you want to have in the company?
1: So um, I'm a person that is uh, driven very much by passion and energy, and and obviously it is. A, a, co- a company culture that reflects that is is very very important to me. When I step into a room, I'm very sensitive to the the energy level in the room that is very important thermometer for me whether whether there is true activity going on uh, you know uh, in, uh, in 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 a room
0: I'm sorry and I just just on that, and how do you measure that so now you come into a room. What do you what do you gauge? What do you what do you look for?
1: Well, what you're looking for is: can you feel the energy? Can you see people standing over together? You know, looking at something, whether it's in a display, whether it's a you know, it's a prototype or or collectively you, you can you can feel whether it's an energy whether it's it's like a newsroom uh, you know before before the night's uh 7 30 play or whether it's a, it's a trader room in 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 a stock market that type of of energy so that is important to me the other important thing and we worked a lot from day one and we kept the same the same kind of core words, which is being bold, being passionate, and being excellent as uh, the key pillars of, of what we're doing. But one important thing when you're building something like this and that, the, that we're driving, that is you cannot run at maximum speeds all the time. It doesn't work like that. But when you're hitting a bottleneck, mm. when you're being pressed uh, towards a time plan or you're, you're finding an, an obstacle that is really difficult... That's when the light needs to be on. That's when you need part of an organization to sprint. And that principle is very, very important to me, that that whenever we we stumble, because it is still so, speed and and the pace forward uh, as, as as a company is one of our biggest assets.
0: Who do you hire?
1: We have 125 nationalities in, in the company, so, so we're very, very diverse. We want to hire people who have done difficult things, who have done multiple uh, experiences that are not afraid to roll up the sleeves and, and go you know dig uh, shovel dirt. We want to, to hire people specifically that is logical but also dynamic. Hmm.
0: You say um, speed is an asset. Now in our strategy document for the fund, we have speed is a mindset. Mm. How do you make sure that you keep the speed up? Do you walk around on the floor here and whip people uh, into (laughs) action?
1: No, I I think um, it's incredibly important to constantly drive that that culture. And that is a challenge when, when you're growing very, very fast. Uh, Last year, we were having a a kickoff uh, with, call it the the first and second layer, the 50 50 people. And we realized that we have one group who's been with the company for three, four, five years, uh, and they are totally engraved in in the culture. But then we're starting new sites and we're bringing in uh, more people. And it requires a bit of effort to bring everybody else into, you know, what is it being a North Walter? And, and this is crucial because- uh, Well, what, what
0: is it to be a North Walter?
1: Well, I come back to it, it is about being passionate. It's about being bold and being excellent in what we're doing with a strong focus on what our customer need. But it's also, you know, it's, it's, it is a challenge when you're being proud of being this diverse, but you also have to remember that if you come from 125 different nationalities, your perspectives, if you come from Asia, on how an organization works from a, a bureaucracy, and versus the Nordic model of being very flat and goal-oriented, this is a big mental transition, and this won't happen over day. So we work a lot with both getting people together in big team buildings. To, so to- I,
0: I, for instance, hear that you have a weakness for crazy challenges. So. <laughs> You got your whole management group to uh to do vasaloppet now for those of you who are not into cross-country skiing vasaloppet is a bit of a uh, it's a pretty damn long uh cross-country trip 90k right uh even the people who hadn't done it before mm. cross-country they had to do it so no, how, how did that go?
1: We haven't done it yet. Uh, okay. Uh, so, uh, so, so, so So we're on the path to achieve the, the Vasa is not the important thing, but basically what we said is with this focus that we have on, on the ramp up in the factories, we will have our management teams up in Skellefteå on, on a weekly basis. This is where the focus needs to be. And as a little bit of a, of a feature to being in Skellefteå is the availability of snow. So monday evenings after we have had our management meetings we we're doing a joint training on on cross-country skiing and we have this this excellent coach his name is Klaus nilsson he've won nordenskjöldsloppet which is the world's longest cross country it's t- uh, 220 kilometers oh, so he has been helping us uh, and as as bringing the team together with with you know one goal it's been uh, it's been very 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 fun but we've started on very very different levels
0: and perhaps um, kind of suitable to go for something which is pretty marathon-like, because this is going to be a marathon to build North World well now.
1: Uh, it is a marathon, for sure.
0: What are your leadership principles? What is the most important thing for
1: you? I think it, it, it is very, very important in, in order to, to understand um, understand a problem, to go to the depth. So, so whenever you have a problem or something blocking, don't just, you know, leave it at, at face value, but but go and, and the, the Japanese have this, this saying, "Gemba Gembutsu," go to the source and, and, and see it. And, and I very much like that philosophy. We're trying to find a model and I'm trying to apply a model where people are given a lot of responsibility and I will leave them alone until they uh, prove that they can't manage that re- responsibility but otherwise i'm a strong believer in people so i don't set the agendas for people but i'm very focused on on two things one is how they together with the team achieve their their objectives and secondly how they are building the teams around them you know how they're being talent attractors and 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 these for two is is when i'm having uh performance uh reviews these are the the two parameters that is very very important for me
0: when you make decisions how uh, dependent are you on analysis and how much is pattern recognition i things you've seen before
1: i think data is important but because you know a number of a uh, number of the things that that we're doing uh is to some extent we're doing it for the first time but I'm also cognizant about you can go and collect data forever. It is about having the sufficient uh, amount of de- uh, data so, so that you're not going totally off, off, off the track. But if you have 80% of, of what you need, then I'm normally ready to take uh, the decision and, and, and go on. Mm.
0: Mm. Now, one former colleague of yours described you as optimistic, bold, forward-leaning, and aggressive. So where does this come from? What what is what is I, the driving
1: force? I I think yeah uh, you know as with many of us there is a uh, there is a little young achiever uh, inside you know that that want to do good that that want to learn and want to to uh, want to succeed and then you know obviously wants to get a certain recognition for it I mm. you know I'm I'm not driven by. Financials, but I, I do like to get recognition.
0: Mm. It was interesting. I gave a speech at the Stockholm School of Economics uh, yesterday, and uh, and I asked people to put up their hand if they if they really you know wanted to show the world. Mm. And surprisingly, few people did. Mm. And I suspect it's just because they didn't admit it, want to admit it. Mm. Mm.
1: But who do you want to who do you want to prove wrong? Who do you want to show? I don't want to prove. Well, yes, in in the, in the sense. I wanted to prove the ones that that is is saying that we can't solve this this big problem, the climate crisis and and uh, the green transition in in the timelines that that we, we set up. We, we need to give ourselves more more time because the solutions to to solve these problems is is there. it, it is it is about you know executing them and and I had in, in, in 2017, I, I was out for an accident. I was in, in, in an avalanche, and when they found me, I, I didn't I didn't breathe. So I, I actually don't recall it uh, uh, until I was on a helicopter on the way to, to a hospital and I was in pretty bad shape. Uh, but when I was recovering, I was laying there and thinking, what is you know, what is important now that I got kind of a, a second chance. And then what came very, very clear, because I was also engaged in a whole bunch of, of other startups and, and, uh, and things, it became very, very clear that this is my mission in life. This is, this is combining what I've learned from, from my, my career with, 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 uh, with my passion. This will be hopefully, uh, you know, the, the, the important uh, uh, effort of, uh, of my life. And, and uh, that is sometimes, you know, when, when you can feel a little bit almost overwhelmed, you know, what have I started uh, when, when, when I kind of go back to, to, well, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, this is really, really important. If we should be able to contain climate uh, and global warming to, you know, at least below uh, two degrees we need to take these these dramatic rapid actions and we need to be bold and 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 then you know i i kind of i get comfort in that did the avalanche change your life in other ways it did some on the private but also i think it made me much more humbled to how uh, you know, how fragile life uh, can be and to, to make sure that, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're not pushing all your wants to the future. And, and I, can, I can clearly say that that if I would die tomorrow, I would still, you know, be very happy with, with the life uh, I've had. How do you relax? One of the things that I think is 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 a good feature when when you're an, an entrepreneur is I have this tendency, you, you know, as an entrepreneur, you have a lot of shitty days. You know, you're thinking we're not going forward, we're going backwards, and and you you, you just get uh, you know an aggregate of all the pile of shit that happens uh, when. Uh, you know when you're uh, building and, and starting uh, new things but i have this this uh, ability to feel like shit go to bed sleep and wake up with total new energy it's like almost like a goldfish wow uh, and how much and- it how much it uh, does one
0: have to take to be a good entrepreneur
1: um, I think, uh, you know, <laughs> the, 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 the harder task you take on, the more pile of shit you will probably experience during that that way that, I, I think that is probably a, a law of, of some sort. But, but what I was also a little bit coming back to, I'm also a bit of an on-off person. So later we have a board meeting today, but, but later tonight I'm going to jump on the, uh, the train and, and I'm going to go up to, to Ore with my kids. And then I'm, gonna, I'm just going to focus on going skiing and, and spending a weekend with them and, and go back a little bit refreshed uh, here on, on Monday. Sounds good. Um, lastly, Peter, what is your advice to young people? I think it is super important to follow your passion. Don't follow what other people tells you to do, but but really follow your your your, your passion. Because if you're if you're not passionate about what uh, what you're doing, you, you're not going to put in you know that extra effort that is required to really achieve uh, excellence. And then uh, you know, in the early days. We were sitting in an attic in, in, in Stockholm, a, a small team, and we had a room where we, where we put up favorite quotes. And there's two, two quotes that still sticks out very much in, in my mind. One was, and I think it's from the Google founders, is a good idea is normally perceived as not good at all until it's really good. If you have an alternative idea, of, you should never give up and try. And when you've tried and proved that it works your surrounding will 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 recognize, oh, you know, this was a really, really great uh, idea, but, but it takes a lot of effort to, to, to get there. And the second one was from Mike Tyson. Everybody got the uh, strategy up until they went in and get the first punch in the face. And that's, you know, that's really something, that, you know, what do you do then? Uh, and, and that's, I think, the, the you know, to continue going on when when you're constantly being challenged that that is a very very important thing mm.
0: well peter it for sure seems like you are following uh, your passions and uh, and i have to say i'm also thinking perhaps uh, a few more of us need a tiny bit of avalanche to shake out the really important things in life so we can focus where it really matters mm. but uh, big thanks for taking the time and all the best
1: of luck thank you